If you turn with me to the back of your songbooks, page 968, we just have the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and then we'll turn to Psalm 16. Page 968. Question one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end or purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's turn then to Psalm 16, page 535 in your Bibles, your pew Bibles. Tom of David, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures pleasures forevermore. This is God's word, and may he bless us and transform our lives by it. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you might wonder what this thing is that's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So let's look at those three words for a moment. Let's start with the word catechism. It's a question and answer method of learning anything. And in particular, a question and answer method of learning the main teachings of the Bible. It comes from the Greek word katecho, to echo back, to learn the truth so you can echo it back. You learn what it is through question and answer method. This is how Theophilus learned the truth in Luke 1 and how Apollos learned it, Acts 18. They were catechized, the Bible says, in the Greek word katecho. Then the word Westminster, this shorter catechism was written by the Westminster Assembly, which met from 1643 to 1653, about 80 years after the Heidelberg and Belgic Confession were written, Heidelberg Catechism and Belgic Confession, but written 
during that assembly, by that assembly in 1646-1647. Westminster Assembly was a synod of the Church of England where English and Scottish delegates met to reform the Church of England. The Westminster Shorter Catechism was completed in 1647. And then, guess what? Sent to Parliament for approval by the House of Lords. Imagine taking our Heidelberg and bringing it to Queen's Park and say, could you approve this for instruction in all our churches and schools? Lovely. Well, it was approved for use in the churches and schools of the nation and homes. Amazing. Then the word shorter means that it was a shortened version of the Westminster Larger Catechism, also written by the Westminster Assembly around that same time, and specially written for children to memorize when they were young. So if you want to take this time with your family to memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, that could work as well, I think. Um... There's a recent book put out by Reformation Heritage Books, Glorifying and Enjoying God, 52 Devotions to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. One of the authors is a United Reformed Church pastor, William Buchestein, Glorifying and Enjoying God. So working through these 107 questions and answers uh, through 52 devotions through a year, the idea is that you'd have one devotion a week Today, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is one of the three doctrinal standards of Presbyterian churches. We have the three forms of unity, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort as our doctrinal standards, summarizing the, the truth of Scripture. They have the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and both sets of confessions are, are very close, very compatible, both the Reformed faith in summary. At any rate, we are going to start with God's help studying through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. May God bless the study as a way to understand the Bible better. It's a tour guide through the Bible. And we want to look at three things this afternoon. What is your purpose in life? God is our purpose, God is our glory, and God is our joy. God is our purpose, our glory, and our joy. Opening question is the most important question anybody could ever ask in any generation, and especially in the 21st century. What is the chief end or chief purpose of man? Because we are so mixed up, we're so much in a fog on that issue. We've got it so messed up that people do not know why they're here. Historically, the issue among philosophers and among theologians is, what is man's summum bonum? Summum bonum. What is man's highest good? It's a huge question. What is your highest good, your summum bonum? Why are you here? Why are you on the planet? 
We could say there's no answer to that. We're here because we're here, like love is love. It's all random, there's no real point or purpose. That's an irrational, nonsensical answer. Because we live in a world that's filled with purpose, order, and design. We study ecosystems where everything's got its proper function and per we're amazed at how well the world is designed. So you mean man doesn't have a design and purpose? Of course we do. It's plain on the face of it. But what is it? What's man's highest good? What's our purpose? What's the chief end of man? We read it, Psalm 16, you're my Lord, I have no good apart from you. I can have so many good things. I can enjoy so many earthly goods. But if I don't have God, it's all pointless. And that's why the psalmist says, well, he, he says, in the next verse, verse three, as for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Well, I have other delights, other good things, people I delight in. But Lord, you are the one who holds it all together. And if you're out of the picture, everything falls apart. I have no good apart from you. Imagine a child who loves it when it's his birthday because he gets gifts from his mom and dad. So imagine his parents give him all kinds of wonderful gifts to enjoy. And then the parents walk off the scene never to return. Are those gifts his greatest good? Pretty soon he's going to say, Mommy, Daddy. And all the gifts he got are going to be useless because the caregiver, the gift giver is gone. The one who makes life work, the one who cares for me, loves me. Well, that's the kind of universe people are living in today in their minds. There's no caregiver, there's no gift giver, there's just stuff. But the one who holds it all together the one who makes life make sense is out of the picture. We've chased him out. We said, he's not real. And so what becomes the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever? No, it's the opposite. It's to glorify me and enjoy myself forever. And what a recipe for disaster. And that's the culture we're living in. Celebration of man, man's feelings. Oh, pardon me, did I say man? Celebration of people, people kind. People's feelings and people's emotions and people's desires. And suddenly it all becomes about me. And that's the reason for a messed up world in which people are living in a fog. Because seeing God as our highest good and our purpose, 
It's fundamental to living a meaningful, sensible life because the pursuit of fame and pleasure and riches and romance and status will never fill you. So if you're feeling empty and hopeless and totally dissatisfied with life, I'm going to point you to man's true summum bonum, highest good, God. You're my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Go to God. Gaze upon him. He's our highest good. Because our heart was wired for more than we can find in this world, brothers and sisters. God wired us for much more. He created us for himself. And we won't find rest until we find rest in the, in the Father's heart. We sang it in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man was not created for himself. We're created for God. We're not here to celebrate ourselves. We're not here to make ourselves the center of our existence. We're here to see that God is the center of our existence and he's the organizing principle of life. And when he's the organizing principle, everything comes together. The Bible says in Colossians 1 that in Christ, the whole universe holds together. So God himself is our summum bonum Man was created for God. He's our highest good. Paul says, for through, from him and through him and to him are all things. And what that means for us is rather than think about how wonderful and great we are, and God has made us wonderful and great. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. But rather than focus that and orient our lives around that and get all upset if somebody's gets in my way? Our thoughts must always be how essential and wonderful and powerful and beautiful God is. What is the chief end of man to glorify God? Let's just say God, and then we'll talk about what it means to glorify him, but God. So we got to live with minds Desires lifted up to God. And always live in the awareness that God is everything. He's ultimate. Without him, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. I have no good apart from you. Life just falls apart. So while the fool says in his heart, there's no God, and he tries to keep God out of his thoughts, and he views himself as the center of all things, that we're our own creators who can set the boundaries of our own existence and define ourselves and thinks, I can do as I please as long as I don't get caught for I will never be brought into judgment. While the fool tries to keep God out of his thoughts, the Christian wants to remember God in all his thoughts, in all things, to honor God as the beginning, the middle, and the end for from him and through him and to him are all things.
He's life's most significant reality, radically worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, writes one author. And he's proven that he's our greatest good. Because when we lost it in Adam and Eve, turned our backs on God, our greatest good, and said that monster Satan, he's going to do much better for me. Let's go his way. And we came under the curse. He sent his son to die for a people like us. And there at the cross, out of sheer grace, Jesus absorbed the wrath, the curse that we deserved. And he defeated death once for all. Never before we've seen such a great good, love, mercy, and grace, but be displayed in the world. Our greatest good, God our Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's our purpose. Well, let's look secondly at glorifying God. God is our glory. The chief end or purpose of man is God himself, and that means we're here to glorify God. And when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to wonder why you're here. Do you know how blessed you are, how blessed we are to get up in the morning and know why we're here? Like, we're a small percentage of the human race that are so blessed to get up in the morning and know why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. I'm here to glorify God. That might not seem that impressive or a lot of help for us first thing in the morning. But if we know and remember that's our chief end and purpose, we have a huge start for the day. Imagine that you live in a house and out the back door is the world of self full of hatred, full of trampling on others, full of demons, full of darkness, full of I don't know what life is for. The front door is the door of God as the center of order and commandments and wisdom and promises. And the first thing every morning, you know which door to take. That's huge. God's my greatest good and he's put me here to glorify him. And then we get a home and we get schools and we get friends that also know this. And then we have a reason to go out the back door as lights when we know this and say, all you who are lost, I have wisdom for you. We have a message. It's such a crucial issue. So simple, but so profound. You can't get deeper than this question of the sum and bone and what is our highest good. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God. And that means give him glory in everything you think and do. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, you know it, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's so many pieces to the puzzle of life. But the picture that we're told to make is glorify God. 
even eating and drinking, whatever you do. First Peter 4 verse 11, we read, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in our lives. Everything we may glorify God through Jesus Christ. To give God all the glory doesn't mean God is short of glory and he needs a little help from us. We need to add to it. No, he's already altogether glorious. He's the overflowing fountain of all good. The cup of God's glory is full and it's overflowing. We're not to add any drops to it. But we must declare his glory. That's what it is to glorify God. We must show his glory. We must promote his glory. We must love his glory. We must enjoy his glory. Even the heavens do. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. If the heavens are shouting the glory of God, bringing glory to him, the parts of creation that can't think, that are not made in his image, how much more we who are thinking, willing creatures made in the image of God are to shout God's glory, show his glory, promote his glory every day, all day long. Even in heaven, the angels, the living creatures, and the 24 elders representing the Old and New Testament churches, church, the angels and the elders cast their crowns before God and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. He's worthy to receive glory. He created us for this purpose. Brothers and sisters, tragically, we rejected God's purpose for our lives in rebellion. We rejected him to live for ourselves and seek our glory. And we say, my life is my own to be lived for me and to pursue whatever pleases me. What's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify and enjoy himself. That's perverse. That's corrupt. That's wicked. You can be a very nice person, very polite, and yet live this utterly wicked life that's completely contrary to the purpose God has for you. Paul describes that wickedness in Romans 1. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't honor him as God nor give thanks to him. That's the deepest wickedness we could enter. But you know what God, our greatest good, did? He redeemed us from that corruption and turned our life around so we could see the front door and have access to the front door. He sent his son Jesus to earth to, send, to enter the human race as a son of Adam and Eve through the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary to live his life the right way. Jesus, what's the chief end of man that you lived? The chief end of my life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He lived that life right. For us, Jesus said that just before he gave his life to God as a sin offering. John 17, Father, I've glorified you here on earth. I have finished the work you've given me to do. He did what God wanted him to do. He did it because he wanted to do it. In this way, Jesus glorified God and will enjoy him forever. So if you want your life back, oriented to the proper purpose, you need to be joined to Jesus by faith who lived his life right on our behalf. 
to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So do you want your life back? Do you want to stop that upside down, miserable life of living for yourself and trying to make everyone and everything revolve around you? Are you you sick and tired of that yet? Am I? A life of fighting God and trampling my neighbor. You can have it back. You can have it back. Jesus earned it for you. He won it for you. He created it for you in his own death and resurrection. And when we trust in him, that's the new creation we become. That's the new life he plants in you by the Holy Spirit. Restored to its proper glory and joy of living to the glory of God. Well, brothers and sisters, this is important for parenting too because kids are just like their parents. We, by nature, make ourselves the center of our world and everybody has to revolve around me. We started that when we were about one day old. And that keeps going and growing. And guess what happens to a one-day-old little monster when he's 25? He becomes a big monster. She becomes a big monster. And the purpose of parenting is to keep reminding through instruction and discipline, you are not the center of this world and this home. We're going to help you with that. by bringing you to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, by disciplining you when you think you're the center of the world, act that way, and we're gonna pray really hard that the Holy Spirit uses that to plant the new creation in you so you're living life right side up. We needed that, we still do need that grace. So do you, my son, my daughter, Because that's why we're here. We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So as we live our lives every day, let's pray that God will empower us to remember and embrace our chief end. I'm here to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. If you're in school, you're wondering what to do with the rest of your life, you gotta start here. God didn't put you on this earth to do whatever is easiest or whatever pleases you or whatever makes you the most money with the least amount of work and get you the best retirement or to become famous and powerful. These are the chief ends of this world. That's demonic. But Lord, you created me for your glory, to glorify you. Could you show me how you want me to serve you? First of all, Lord, show me What areas of service are most needed in our culture? Preachers to serve in missionaries, as missionaries and in established churches? Teachers, real shortage of teachers. Medicine, first responders, frontline health care. Very hard to have loving care. Christians can lead the way. Honest, hardworking tradespeople. 
who want to be good at what they do and glorify God and do an honest job, a good job. Like that's hard to come by. And every other area of life as well. Members of parliament. Truckers. Taxi drivers. Pilots. So many types of work that God is calling us to do and ask, are you ready to put yourself out there? How can I glorify and enjoy the one true God, not just today, but with my whole life? Put that in front of you as your prayer and desire. So, and God will bless that prayer. And he'll lead you and direct you. That's what he loves to do. So before we waste another day, congregation, let's embrace God's purpose for our lives, no matter what age. Maybe we know this purpose, but we've been backsliding from it. And we sort of caught, caught in the rut of this world that I'm here to glorify me and enjoy me forever. And you better just fall in line with my purpose. Uh, we hate that. Sometimes we go there, right? Well, God has grace for us in Christ to be renewed in his purpose for our lives. Well, let's see thirdly, God is our joy. God made us not only to glorify him, but enjoy him forever. Those aren't two different things. It's to glorify him by enjoying him. Because glorifying God can become a rather joyless enterprise, a mere duty, part of the daily grind as we battle the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. But according to God's purpose for us, glorifying God and enjoying God belong together in this life and the life to come. And that's why David in Psalm 16 is a servant of Christ speaks of enjoying God as his summum bonum, his highest good in verse 2. And then he talks about how he's enjoying God. Verse 5, the Lord is my portion, my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Not only is he seeking to glorify God, but he wants to glorify God by enjoying him. The worst thing is when living to the glory of God becomes boring for you. There's a problem there, and it's not because God is boring. God is beautiful, loving, wise, good, exciting, amazing, and endlessly interesting. So if we're bored with the life of glorifying God, it's because we're not seeing God. We're not gazing upon him properly. That hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting, is such a meditation on enjoying God. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee as thy beauty fills my soul. And when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. He says, you know what? There is beauty, there is joy, 
There is something exciting about God in the darkest situation of life. Because he adds the word always. No matter what your spot you're in and how hard things are for you right now, God is showing himself to you. He's present with you in such a way that you can say, wow. God is beautiful. He's amazing. We think toys are exciting. We think vacations are exciting. We enjoy friendships and games and marriage and food. God has given us these things to enjoy. That imagine if there was no God. It would suck all the joy out of that stuff. I have no good apart from you. And David says this is a joy that knows no end. That Jesus is enjoying with God in heaven right now when he says at the end of the psalm, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The greatest entertainment, the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy is to be found at the fountain of joy, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we glorify him most when we see him that way, not as boring and tiring, but as beautiful, as amazing, endlessly interesting, exciting, loving, wise, faithful, kind. Here too we need Jesus. Jesus endlessly delighted in God. He said when he came, Psalm 40, here I am, O Lord, I delight to do your will. So, maybe you're working hard to glorify God But the enjoyment of him ah, seems far away. There again, Jesus is the way to enjoy God. On earth and now in heaven, he has enjoyed his heavenly father, taken pleasure in him immensely, infinitely. Jesus plants that in you too and grows that in you, we need to ask for that blessing. Let us then fulfill our purpose in life through faith in Jesus Christ to glorify God and enjoy him forever and also lead our children and our neighbors into that kind of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing to us our purpose. Thank you for revealing to us the joy that is found in you. Help us to recover our purpose and joy. If we've lost the sense of it, we don't know it at all. We pray that you will plant that in us by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would enable us to get up each morning and to be directed by this truth. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Lead us not only into this life, but 
to lead others into this life. We may shine as the light of the world. In Jesus we pray, amen.